Welcome to the South Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Welcome, friends. My name's Alex. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting, uh, we're so just privileged that you would join us on uh, Resurrection Sunday, the the highest and best day of the year. Just to give you a little picture, right now, or at least today anyway, a small family of one to two billion people are gathering together uh, to celebrate the movement from uh, cross to resurrection, something that is, is delightfully unique in history. Uh, for many years, the Eastern Orthodox Church has said this uh, regularly and often, but especially on Easter. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death, and on those in the tombs bestowing life. It's the only time of year I get to use the word or the verb bestowing. I don't know exactly what it means, but it sounds wonderful. It's just like I want some life bestowed. Uh, this morning, I was uh, awake with my son, uh, Jude, who is five. Uh, he is in that phase where he loves to ask questions. Recently on a trip uh, to Michigan, I christened him the Riddler because of the number of questions I got during the course of, of the trip. And this morning he came not so much with questions, but with, with suggestions or at least you know, some kind of statement. And so this morning when we were chatting at five o'clock in the morning, an early hour, he, he said to me, it's Easter today. And I said, yes, it is. And then he looked at me and he said, Easter's about Jesus. And I said, yeah, nice. Parenting, good job. Kids ministry, good job. And then he looked at me and he said, uh, Jesus is coming. And I was like, wow, an eschatological, eschatological bent to this kid. Like he's, he's wise beyond his years. And I said, yes, that's right. Jesus is coming. And then he said, Jesus is coming today. And I said, huh, maybe, maybe. And then he said, Jesus is coming for lunch. <laughs> and I said, well, I hope he likes Indian food because that's what's on the menu. Like if he doesn't, there's always a table for him here, but apparently just so you're aware, if Jesus turns up at lunchtime, you heard it first from a small five-year-old. Uh, we have been on this journey uh, as a community through Lent. If you look to, to my left here, the, the, there is this cross um, and it's got white pieces of paper all over it. During Lent, we had a, a moment where as a community that comes regularly, we practiced this idea of lament. Uh, we recognized the fact that there are things within us that are broken. Th there are ways that we see the world and we say of it, man, it looks broken. It's not all as it should be. And we recognize sometimes that, that causes a tension in our relationship with, with God too. And so we wrote down some of those laments. And on Good Friday, I got to pin them onto the cross. And, and we'll talk more about that in a second. And then on, on Good Friday, as a, as a practice, we gathered and this room was transformed. And, and so we had this invitation to come and experience Jesus as the Lamb of God, an old-fashioned term maybe, but this picture of sacrifice, so we actually had a, a lamb or sheep in the building. Um, and then we ate lamb as well, which to some people was like, wow, I said to my kids, I'm cooking lamb. Uh, and they said, not the lamb that's there and alive, right? It was okay if it was a different lamb, but it couldn't be this one. So I think we created some vegetarians during the course uh, of the event. 
It was too close. But because it's Good Friday, but not Nice Friday, it's important, but it's not supposed to be particularly necessarily pleasant. I think they wanted the lamb to be dry and tasteless. So they called in the British guy to cook it, and they said, could you do what your people do so well? We, we need something that's dry and tasteless. And I fooled them because it was delicious. Uh, but that was my sole contribution. The team just came together. And what I love about a community like South is that June and Ethan that put that together, they just did a wonderful job. The team that was involved in setup and this backdrop that you see in front of you that Alicia put together is just this beautiful picture of this day of resurrection. But before we get to resurrection, I'd love us to move uh, a little further back in the journey. I, I want you to picture for yourself for just a second, yourself as one of Jesus' earliest followers. You stood with him outside the temple, this incredible edifice of stone and gold, something that one historian said was the wonder of its age. Now, the historian was Jewish, so he was a little bit biased, but it was this incredible monument, this incredible holy site, and Jesus has just been inside, and he has cleared the floor with everybody profiting from religion. As a pastor who works in a church and receives a salary, sometimes I'm like, ooh, like this, this is dangerous. Lightning bolts, perhaps, all around me. But Jesus has taken out these money changers, and then now he stood outside the temple being confronted by some of the religious leaders of the day. And what they say to him is this, show us a sign that says that you're able to do these things. You are tearing it up. You are saying things that nobody else says. Give us some kind of sign that says you're entitled to do that. And Jesus replies on the screen there, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And the instant response is absurd. That's nonsense, Jesus. This took 46 years and so many men, so much manpower and so much money to create this. How are you saying that you're going to destroy it in three days? And then perhaps, fortunately, at least from the disciples' perspective, the conversation drops for a moment. It stops, it ends. Because imagine ourselves in their situation. It must have been difficult to hear this wise rabbi of yours, this person that you've come to believe has all wisdom to start to say things like, oh, I can rebuild temples that took 46 years to build. This is easy, this is nothing. You must have been somewhat relieved that he didn't press the issue any further. You must have started to wonder, like, what is this guy talking about? And then slowly what we read is there's this moment where they start to realize later, after he, after he was raised, in fact, uh, that, that he was talking about something else. He wasn't talking about rebuilding temples that were knocked down and, and had taken 46 years to build. He was talking about the resurrection of the dead, his own resurrection. But had they known at the time, is that actually any easier to believe? If anything, it's more difficult, right? I mean, a building that took 46 years can be built quicker with more manpower. It can be done faster with more money thrown at it. You can put almost anything up in just a few days, now at least. But the resurrection of the dead, that just isn't a thing throughout history. The dead stay dead with monotony. That's, that's what they 
do. And so as Jesus starts to talk about these things, the hovers over all of his ministry, this question of death and resurrection. And so imagine yourself again as one of his earliest followers and start to ask how you would feel when, when the thing, the mission that you felt was going to lead to conquest, to kicking out the Roman Empire, to having a free nation again, now starts to move towards crucifixion. That's bad enough. But, but beyond crucifixion? To, to resurrection? Surely, surely that's an absurdity to a degree. And so hovering is this question of, is resurrection possible? And Jesus even begins to ask this question of people. To, to a sister that has lost a brother, he asks, says, I am the resurrection and the, and the life, and says, do you believe this? To a, a couple that have lost a child, he says, do you believe I am able to do this, bring this child back to life? To his disciples, he begins to ask, do you believe that I am who I say I am? This, this question of do you believe this hovers over Jesus' ministry? Do you believe this? Do, do you believe him? And the reasonable answer might be, especially around resurrection, might be why would we believe in the impossible? That might be the reasonable response. This question of resurrection split the country in Jesus' time, and probably on a day like Easter especially, it probably splits this room too. Because you might say, well, I came today because someone asked me. I came today because it's Easter, but, but when it comes to believing dead people walk again, I'm really not sure about that. And if that's where you are, I actually have just a ton of sympathy for you because this story is unusual. So a couple of things that we're going to try and land on today together is this. All over the country today, there are a whole bunch of pastors just like me who will try and convince you, if you would class yourself as skeptical, that the resurrection definitely happened. In actual fact, we're not doing that today. What we're doing today is we're, we're hoping for two things. I'd love you to see that it's possible and that it's preferable. That this is a story that even if you're not sure it's true, you actually want it to be true because this story uh, at its heart, heart is compelling. This story is wonderful. And so if you're someone who says, uh, I'm kind of a skeptic, uh, you're actually in a good place because I think the first people that heard this story were skeptics too. We read in Matthew 28 verse one, I said to the team we're doing Matthew this year because it's his turn. We did the other guys last year, we did Mark, Luke and John. Uh, I don't know if he minds, but if he does mind, we get to look at Matthew's account today, his story of Jesus' resurrection. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. The guys were sleeping in. The first followers of Jesus were still napping. There's an incredible element to this story. The women that followed Jesus were the last at the cross. They were the first at the tomb. And they go, for all intents and purposes, to make the first of many pious visits. To do what many of us do around tombs, we go to remember good times. We go to remember a person who was with us, who is now gone. The only way to read the disciples' first reaction to Jesus' death is simply the best of our times have passed us. And now we remember. Now we remember, as people have done throughout history around some kind of grave or some kind of 
monument. But in this case, the story takes a twist. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord. I love the way I said this story takes a twist, like you don't know the twist that's coming. I know you see it coming. The Lord came down from heaven. The angel of the Lord came down from heaven and go into the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them, greetings. He said they came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see him. For just a moment, the entirety of the church consists of a couple of women and that's it, nobody else. And these women will not be believed if they do tell the, the story. And for a while at least are too afraid to do so. For a moment this story hovers here, poised. We wait to see what it will become. This story is met by almost everyone initially with skepticism. And then something happens. There is a moment of whether physically or spiritually, they encounter Jesus as risen, and that is the thing that changes everything. I don't think, if I was trying to convince you if you were a skeptic of, of this thing, I don't think there's any argument that I could make that would absolutely convince you. No, this is a lock. This thing is for certain. I just don't think it works that way. I don't think it ever has. All I'm suggesting is this story might be more possible than you think. And to get that into our minds, we need to talk for just a second about quantum mechanics. Uh, about a hundred years ago, a scientist came up with an experiment. He wanted to show that light moved in a particular way. It was, was it a particle or was it a wave was the big question. So he came up with an experiment. He was going to fire this thing light through two slits and this would enable him to tell how it moved and so he did it for the first time and it seemed like light moved like a particle it went straight through the slits and landed on the wall behind so far so good maybe perhaps that's how light works but then they put a detector on it to see how it moved to measure it and now it moved completely different now it moved like a wave. It seems that in this universe, light moves one way when you observe it and another way when you don't. Light, it seems, is kind of like a teenager. It does one thing when it's been watched and another thing when it's not being watched. Light can get all churlish and insubordinate, it seems. There is this thing in the universe that we just don't understand and it's everywhere. One of the great writers on quantum mechanics said this of his own field. He said this, I think I can safely say that nobody really understands quantum mechanics. A guy, a PhD in quantum mechanics says that I don't understand this 
at all. We live in a world where people think that they know how the world works. And yet, what we really understand is this. We understand everyday life. We understand going to work. We understand waking up. We understand some of those things, feeling hungry. And yet, today, you and I are stood here on a ball of rock flying at 60,000 miles an hour around another ball of fire. And that feels normal to you. And that feels normal. Is that anyone else suddenly not okay with the situation? <laughs> like, wow, this is where we are trust-wise. The truth is when we experience the universe, what, what we sit in as a universe, it's a mystery still. And the people that spend their time investigating it, investigating it, they learn more and more every day about what they don't and perhaps never will know. It seems impossible is nothing. Impossible is nothing. And as Agatha Christie, the great crime writer, said, the impossible could not have happened. Therefore, the impossible must be possible in spite of appearances. The impossible must be possible in spite of appearances. And all I'm saying to you is perhaps I would accept just possible, not certain. This resurrection thing, we might look at it from a 21st century perspective and say, huh, of course we don't believe in things like resurrection now, and yet the truth is we know almost nothing about how this universe operates. But if we could nudge beyond that question of like, is it possible, and we could start to say maybe to that, another question, maybe even a better question, might be this one. Not just what is it, but what does it mean? Or maybe why does it matter? And that's where this second statement or second word, preferable, comes in. What kind of world would it be if we could get to a point of saying resurrection is a story that is good? What, what do we need from a story like resurrection? And for years, the church has held on to a couple of things around death and resurrection, especially Jesus' death and resurrection. Two of them are really good, and the third one I think is often just missed altogether. The story has been that the death and resurrection of Jesus is about forgiveness of sins, that you and I have missed the mark, that we're not what God intended us to be, and that's an important truth of, of the Jesus story. Another one might be the payment of debt, the idea that, that Jesus paid a debt that we owe, and two, that too is a good story. But if, if I were to want to show you that the the death and resurrection of Jesus is a preferable story, I don't think those would be the things that I would bring up. I think where I would land is this. The Jesus' death and resurrection story is ultimately about the defeat of death. It's ultimately about the defeat of death. And that is a story that you and I need deeply. The writer Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Oh, death, where is your sting? He sees this as a result of resurrection. And don't you and I know this? Death has a sting. Death has a sting. If you've lost someone that you love, you know death has a sting. If you've experienced what it is to know someone's presence, and then to know their absence, you know that it has a sting. If you've experienced what it is to see the slow and gentle closing of a casket and to feel it reverberate around the room, even though it's done with reverence, you know death has a sting. You know it instinctively, you felt it. And not just physical death, but the other things too. 
I said that we took our laments, our sense of all that was broken, and we put them up there, and I got to read through some of them. And what I read were hundreds of mini deaths. Maybe not physical, but just profound experiences that spoke of that same word. I read, I am an abuser. And I read, I have been abused. Next to each other, victim and villain together. I read, I've lost relationships with my children. I read, I've lost all sense of hope. I read lament after lament and saw mini death after mini death. We know death has a sting. We feel it all the time. When Jesus went through death and resurrection, he went through it fascinatingly as a carpenter. The, the Hebrew Bible, sorry, the, the Christian scriptures talk about him as a tecton. That means he worked with, interestingly, both wood and stone. So he knew as someone who went to the cross how it was made and he knew the strength that was required to swing a hammer to pierce through human flesh and push the nail into the wood. He knew what he was approaching there. And he also worked with stone and he knew what it was to create something that would roll in front of a grave, a 2,000 pound stone that would close off the entrance and he knew the finality that was there when that stone landed in place. There was no coming out of a grave before Jesus. He knew what death looked like. And yet his own death and resurrection creates a story that is different to all of those. What we know from experience, from all of those deaths in different ways that we just referenced, we know this. We know that death follows life until Jesus. Because with Jesus, life follows death. And it was never that way before. That's what makes the story preferable. We experience all of those things, and you only test your religious belief, I think, when you hit those lowest moments. Your religious beliefs are always important. Your, your system of faith, your spirituality, if that's the term you use, it's always valuable and important, but it's not really tested when a child is born. It's when a child dies. So it's not really tested when you get the job of your dreams. It's tested when the career falls apart when you let go of the thing that you love, when the finances stop coming in. We all experience those moments at some point. And if you haven't yet, the bad news I have for you is it's just, just a matter of time in that sense. We, we, we slowly, through life, experience many, many deaths. And we need to know that somewhere there's life after death. With Jesus, life follows death and that is unusual, that is remarkable. A few different quotes for you. The wonderful Paul Ricoeur says this, if, if the resurrection is resurrection from the dead, all hope and freedom, they're in spite of death. Whatever that death happens to look like, Alexander Shire says, God has moved out of the tomb. He lives and is with you. You are invited to a new and a larger life. Frederica Matthews Green, Easter contains the one thing needful for every human life, the good news of resurrection. At some moment, you and I need to know what is the story that we believe, and I would suggest that what makes the Jesus story preferable in so many ways, what makes it beautiful, what makes it compelling is the idea that, that after death comes life and not the other way around as we've been taught. 
N.T. Wright, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. What I would suggest is the Easter story at its heart is this, resurrection produces more resurrection. That the stone rolled away once, and that's important. But the story doesn't end with one stone rolling away from one grave. It continues to many stones in front of many graves. Whatever those graves look like to you, uh, the stones constantly move. The the stones are constantly rolling away. Some years ago, I was five. uh, I was playing with some friends and... Five? Some years ago? Many years ago. And we were playing around this box that had clothes inside it. It was a dress-up game. It was about five feet long and about a foot wide. And, and some of my friends convinced me that I should climb inside the box. And as soon as I did, uh, they slammed the lid shut and sat on top of it. I've never talked about this, but now publicly, Lucy Howard, Paul Stack, I'm calling you out. In a sermon you'll never hear, uh, I am letting the world know what kind of people you were at five, which is a long time ago. <laughs> may have changed but I experienced that moment of terror, that moment of dead end, that moment of the world closing off. And I know some of you have experienced that too, maybe not physically, but there's been the moments where something feels like it's ending, something feels like it's dying, and everything inside you says, I'm not ready for this to die. Jesus' stone moved. Jesus' resurrection says that that is not just a one-time event, but that is always possible, that that when you have those moments of experiencing those mini-deaths or any kind of death, you are just another candidate for resurrection. That's how good this story is, that life, it actually follows death. In Ephesians, Paul says this, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. I love to garden and every year I have these moments where I believe for a second the garden won't come back. That's the end of the story. And then there's this magical moment at some point, like just yesterday, where for the first moment, something begins to shoot from the ground. I may have done some kind of happy dance. It may have been that, that emotional for me. But death, it seems, is constantly, in Jesus' world, followed by life. It's not just one stone that moves. Stones with Jesus are constantly being rolled out of the way, constantly being rolled from the graves that we find ourselves in. At the end of the book, Revelation 21, it simply says this, Behold, I am making all things new. I'm making all things new. There's a a quote that I read every Easter. I've done it for maybe six years now. And so I've read it for you guys a couple of times, but you may not remember it yet. But you will if you're here for the next 20 odd years. It, It looks like this. The worst thing isn't the last thing about the world. Death seems like the worst thing. It's the next to the last thing. The last thing is the best. It's the power from on high that comes down into the world that wells up from the rock bottom worst of the world like a hidden spring. Can you believe it? The last best thing is the laughing deep in the heart of the saints, sometimes 
our hearts even. Yes, you are terribly loved and forgiven. Yes, you are healed. All is well. Jesus brings about a world in which resurrection follows resurrection that follows resurrection. The stones are still moving from in front of graves. The result of resurrection is repeated resurrection. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us by partnering with us. You can give online at southfellowship.org give. And thanks for listening. We hope you have a great rest of your day.